Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, I was going to start with prayer, but Joe just prayed all the same things I was going to pray. My, my prayer all this week has been that the things that I would say this morning would not be my words, but they would be God's words. Um, and it has been obvious all morning as we've been worshiping the Lord that the Lord already has his hand on this service because of a lot, a lot of the things we sung this morning, a lot of the th- things that were shared are pretty much exactly lined up with what's in my notes. So we could all just go home right now because you've pretty much already had it preached to you in song and at the ministry mic. Um, but anyway, as Joe said, my name is Jason Rummel. I have been teaching for, this is my 21st year of teaching, which kind of blows my mind that I've been doing that for 21 years. And teachers over the years develop certain habits, especially when they're kind of in front of a new class for the first time. You sort of fill out, feel out the class and see certain things. And so as a teacher, I kind of have those same habits. Like, for example, when you're in front of a new class, Teachers may not admit this, but they want to try to identify the troublemakers right away, keep an eye on things. But my my father-in-law is right over here, and Tony Versace is right down the middle, and Rochelle King's over here on the left. So I pretty much got that covered. The other thing that teachers do is they try to keep their classrooms busy from the time they come in to the time they leave. Because if you don't give students something to do, they will find something to do. And it's very rarely something that you would like them to do, okay? So I'm not necessarily expecting that to be a problem this morning here, but I do want to give you a task right away. So do we have, Brian, is that thing working? Beautiful. By the way, the stuff you're going to see up on the wall this morning is just slightly different than what we usually do. I'm using a different program. Things are going to be moving around. And I apologize if the fonts are maybe a little too small at times where it's a, it's a work in progress. So I'll, I'll try to make sure that I'm communicating all that stuff to you. So here's my question. While I'm going through the rest of the introduction here this morning, grab your Bibles, grab your phone Bibles or your iPad Bibles or whatever, and I want you to look up really quickly these scriptures and tell me what they all have in common. And I'm actually going to ask, so don't leave me hanging, all right? Try to find, try to find the answer. What do all of these things have in common? All right, so while you're doing that, today's December 3rd. I have been looking forward to December 3rd for a long time. It's been part of this elder candidacy program, and a long time ago, I got scheduled to preach this morning, and I was really looking forward to it. But December 3rd also is kind of my favorite time of the year. This time of year is my favorite time of year, and I wouldn't blame you if you thought that that was because Christmas is coming. You know, the whole, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Well, that's part of it. But for me personally, uh, a lot of special events converge around this time of year. So obviously there's Christmas coming up. Exactly one week after Christmas is my youngest daughter's birthday. Mabel Jane was born on January 1st. Exactly one week before Christmas is my birthday. Yesterday was my wife's birthday. Thanksgiving was just a little while ago. Deer season's been going on for the past week or so, although for me it should be called going out and sitting in the cold season because there are very few deer involved. And 
about a week and a half ago, my wife and I celebrated our 20th anniversary. So this time of year is always really special for me because a lot of different things are happening in quick succession. But I bet I'm not the only one who loves this time of year. Most of us get excited as we get into December, and I know there are little stresses that come along with it with all the things that we have to do for Christmas. But we also love that tradition of this season, and we love the things that happen that are unique to this season. So I'm probably not the only one who loves this time of year. But my, my hope for today, and this is where I've already seen the Lord working in what we sang this morning, my hope for today is that you'll leave today with a changed perspective on Christmas. Because we tend to, as we're moving toward Christmas, we, we see again and again the picture of the birth of Jesus, the manger, Bethlehem. What I would love for you to see when you leave today is not only that, but see Easter. That when you think of Christmas and Jesus coming, his birth, that you would connect that in your mind to his death and his resurrection. Because I think that the two are very closely linked, even though historically they were about 33 years apart. Okay, so that's my, that's my goal. So did I give you enough time? Did you find the answer? Does anyone want to venture a guess as to what those five scriptures have in common? Yes. They all have to do with the Holy Spirit. Anybody else? Thank you for being brave. Yes, Ben? The progressive revelation of God's presence. Yes, sir. The piecing together of God with us. I love these answers. These are great. Thank you, Lord. What I'm trying to get you to see, and I think all three of those answers point toward, very good, guys, is that all of those examples... Uh, the unifying theme is God's presence. In every one of these examples, whether it be a specific example or whether it be kind of like a chapter reference and see what's going on in the story unfolding, God is showing up. God's presence is showing up in some way. All right? Throughout the Bible, God demonstrates his love, his care, his patience, his kindness, his salvation, redemption a desire for his people. The list goes on and on and on of the things he demonstrates by inserting himself into our existence. And it's even better than that because it's not even really our existence. It's his creation that he's placed us in. And his desire from the very beginning was to create something in which he could be with these people that he himself made. That has been his desire from the very beginning is to be present with us. A friend of mine at school knew I was preaching this week, and he said, what are you preaching on? And I said, God's presence. And he said, well, that should be a short sermon. God's omnipresent. There you go. You're done. Tell everyone to have a nice week. God's omnipresent. Sermon over. And that's true. We know from Psalm 139, 7 through 10, that God is everywhere. It says this, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, 
even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So that's true. God is omnipresent. And not only that, his omnipresence is a benefit to everyone. Saved and unsaved, God's presence in all of creation benefits every living person. Matthew 5:45 says this, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God's creative uh, power, his presence in all of creation is good for everyone. There are people all around this world right now who are completely unaware of God's omnipresence, but yet they are breathing. They're taking breaths. Their bodies are working. And that's because of the benefit of the creative power and presence of God. He is a benefit to everyone. So why are we even talking about this? Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. All right. Uh, it's my privilege this morning as I teach that this we're actually opening a little series called Light. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about things related to Jesus being a light to this world. And the, the scripture uh, passage that we're going to be focusing on in the next couple Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve is John 12, 32 through 36. And this is, this is what it says. This is Jesus speaking. And I, <clears throat> when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So this is in that those few chapters in John that are leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And he knows it's coming. He's predicting his death. When the Son of Man is lifted up, he's, predict, he's predicting the cross. And the crucial verses that we're going to be really working on are that 35 and 36. Verse 35 and 36. Um, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Okay, so as we start to explore this theme of light over the next couple of weeks, we're going to explore what the Bible tells us about God's presence. And that brings us finally to the title of today's sermon, which I'm really excited about. I thought about this. I thought of this all by myself. Here's the title, Christmas Presents. Isn't that great? I love little things like this. I have a friend, Nevin, who's awesome at little word tricks like this because they stick in your mind. It would be great if for the rest of your life, every time you talked about Christmas presents, you thought of Christmas presents. And that's what I'm hoping we'll get to. So that's our title today, Christmas Presence. Why talk about God's presence now, especially if he's omnipresent? Well, because at Christmas, we find out that God uh, came to us in the bodily form of Jesus Christ, and he is called Emmanuel, God with us, God present with us. So we're going to explore what the Bible says about God's presence, and there are four main points we're going to hit this morning. 
Number one is God's presence is the epicenter of holiness. Number two, God has manifest his presence at times in physical ways. Number three, God's presence is available to you and everyone, as Greg said this morning, right now and always. And number four, we will be forever in his presence. Where I'm heading really is point three. That's where I want to get to this morning. That's the big, that's the big main point. Points number one and two will help us get there. Point number four will kind of help us wrap up. All right, so if God is omnipresent, why are we even talking about this? Well, if you look in the Bible, you find out that there is a unique difference between his omnipresence and the manifestation of his presence. There's a unique difference between his omnipresence and the manifestation of his presence. Okay? Um, that word manifestation, let's talk about that for just a second. Um, I looked that up in various places to get a definition. And the paraphrased idea is that a manifestation is an event or an action that clearly shows what something is like. An event or action that clearly shows what something is like. For some reason, for as long as I can remember, when I think of a manifestation of God's presence in the Bible, there are so many to choose from, but the first one that comes to mind is when the Israelites were being led out of Egypt. And the Bible says they were led by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to protect them from the sun. You remember that? That would be an example of a manifestation of God's presence that shows what God is like. It shows something about what God is like. One, one author wrote this about God's presence. God's presence in experience is the heightening of his reality in our lives. And that's going to be on a slide a little bit later, but it's not here yet. So I'm going to say that one more time because I want you to hear it and remember it. God's presence in our experience is the heightening of his reality in our lives. Now, if I was one of those Israelites being led out of Egypt and there was a pillar of fire that I was following by night, that would be a serious heightening of God's reality in my life, wouldn't it? I mean, if I had any doubts, but it gets dark and this flaming thing comes out of the sky that is my guide and I'm following that, that is a serious heightening of God's reality. And it shows what he's like. It shows that he's powerful. It shows that he's in control of everything, including the laws of nature. It shows that he cares about me and wants to lead me. So this one little example can show all those things and reveal what God is like. And there are so many, so many examples. Okay? So let's get to our first, let's get to our first point. God's presence is the epicenter of holiness. And that, that scripture right up there is the first one that was in my list of five. Let me read it to you in case you didn't look it up. Exodus 40, 34, and 35 says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So here in Exodus, this is right when, after the Lord has given Moses all of the details of how to build the tabernacle, and Moses has pulled it off. He's assembled all the right people. They've built this thing exactly the way the Lord wants them to build it. 
and then the presence of the Lord shows up. And when it shows up, Moses cannot be in the tabernacle. He can't be near that place. And there are other examples that show similar things. Earlier in the story of Moses, I think um, I have on the next slide that it happens in Exodus 4, but it's actually Exodus 3. Mistake on the slide, okay? Um, we find out that God's holiness is unapproachable in these early pictures of it. In Exodus 3 is the story of Moses and the burning bush. Bush. He's out um, shepherding his sheep, and he sees this flaming bush, and he turns aside to see what's going on. And the first thing that the Lord says is, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So Moses sees something, and he doesn't even know it's God at the moment. He just sees something interesting. I mean, if I saw a, burn, a bush that was burning but not being consumed, that's pretty interesting. He turned aside to see what was going on, and the Lord stopped him. Do not come near. You can't be near this place. And by the way, take your shoes off, because this is holy ground. There's another example that's kind of a little bizarre, because there are some really interesting bordering on the bizarre stories in the Old Testament especially. Uh, we meet two guys named Nadab and Abihu. I'm not sure I said their names right, but that's what it looks like. In Leviticus 10, and they are the sons of Aaron, the priest that was uh, ordained by God to serve in the tabernacle, right? These are his sons. And in Leviticus 10, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So here is a picture of these men serving in this tabernacle, and they did something that the Lord did not tell them to do. They took it upon themselves to act in a way that was not obedient to what the Lord had told them and fire consumed them from the presence of the Lord. So what we're seeing in these pictures, and there are others in the Old Testament, that the presence of God is kind of like a nuclear reactor. All right, It's like this place of immense power. And it will, if you, don't have, if you haven't taken the right precautions, if you're not in the right state, you know, like I don't really know anything about building a nuclear reactor. I was thinking about this example as I was driving in this morning. I thought, I put this in my notes, but it's not really one many of us can relate to. We haven't been in the presence of a nuclear reactor. But I think we have that idea, you know, like I, I have this picture in my mind of those guys like wearing those crazy suits, you know, and every part of them is covered. If they don't take the right precautions, there are places that they can't be in proximity to things that are radioactive. You know, it will harm them. And, and God's presence is like this in the pictures that we get early in the Old Testament. Now, remember that the very first picture we get of God's presence in the Old Testament is in the garden. And this problem doesn't exist, right? Because sin had not entered the world. God made people to be with him. But as soon as sin became an issue, now all of a sudden all these other things become an issue. And you can't be in his presence as a sinful person. All right. So to transition to the next point, there's this absolutely fantastic picture. It's one of my favorite 
new favorite things. In Isaiah 6, okay, Isaiah is a prophet and he's given a vision from the Lord. And check this out. There's some, there's some goofy stuff that happens in here, but it's really amazing. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. I'm going to stop right there for a minute. So this is a really interesting picture. We've got this being with six wings. And they're shouting constantly of the glories of the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And look at what Isaiah, how he reacts. And I said, that's Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, I want to be clear about something in this scripture. Sometimes if we read straight through it, it can sound like that his lips were unclean because he's seen, because his eyes have seen the King. Doesn't it kind of look like that? I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King. It sounds like because he's seen the King, his, he's unclean. And that's not true. You could read it rather like this. Um, Woe is me for I am lost because I have seen the king. He's seen the Lord. He's in the presence of the Lord and he knows that's a place he can't be. Why? Because he's a man of unclean lips and he dwells with a people of unclean lips. He knows that sinful people cannot survive the presence of God. All right. And then an amazing thing happens. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I love Isaiah's response right after that. The Lord says to him, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. So this is a picture of what's coming. It's a picture of what's coming because um, up until now, we've seen that sinful people cannot survive in the presence of God. And yet here's Isaiah in the throne room in this vision. And instead of being consumed, God's holiness is communicated to him. God comes and touches him and he receives cleanliness. His guilt is taken away. His sin is atoned for. And that points us to where we're headed, right? That points us to where we are right now. So the next point, God has manifest his presence. It's kind of weird watching that when you're standing up here. Um, God has manifest his presence at times in physical ways. There are lots of examples of this in the Old Testament. One is Abraham. You may remember a scene where Abraham is met by the Lord at the Oaks of Mamre or something like that, and he pleads with, with God to spare Lot when, because he knows that God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. There's another example. There's this interesting character named Balaam who's riding his donkey, 
And the angel of the Lord appears on the road before him, blocking his way, and the donkey sees it. But Balaam doesn't. And so he's smacking his donkey, trying to get him to go, and the donkey won't go. And finally, the Lord grants to the donkey the ability to speak. Talk about that, like heightening the reality of God's presence in your lives. Like if I'm riding my donkey and it starts talking to me, I'm going to realize something's up, you know? Um, Another example is the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Abednego in the fiery furnace. And when they were tossed in there, King Nebuchadnezzar saw a fourth person. And he said, the fourth is like a son of the gods. That was God's presence with them, protecting them. And they came out not even smelling like smoke. And one of my favorites, the prophet Elisha, who woke up one morning surrounded by enemy invading armies. And he had his servant with him and his servant was frightened. And Elisha prayed that the servant's eyes would be opened. And when they were, he saw the hills just filled with fiery chariots uh, being driven by angels with swords prepared for battle. And he saw that the Lord's presence was there protecting them. So we see all of those examples in the, in the Old Testament, and they are powerful, powerful pictures. But the most powerful picture we have is this one. Jesus Christ is the most perfect representation of God. If we want to see an example of God and what he's like in his manifest physical presence, we don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It's like a clone. It's the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So think about this. In light of the pictures that we've already looked at, in light of God's presence being unapproachable, infinitely dangerous to the unpure, the defiled, the sinful people, just think how mind-boggling, head-exploding it is to think that God would humble himself, become a man, fully God, fully man, and be what that next scripture that we looked up early on proclaimed him to be, Emmanuel, God with us. The angels proclaimed that that would be his name, Emmanuel, God with us. So we go from a picture in the Old Testament where he's unapproachable to a picture that he's with his people. Now, remember, God doesn't change. He's the exact same God back then as he is now. But in the person of Jesus, we see God coming to his people. And when we read the Gospels, we get first uh, the picture that we often focus on at this time of the year. We get that picture of the manger, uh, the announcement of his birth, the shepherds, the wise men, Herod, all of that good stuff. we get a little bit of his early childhood. And then there's this big giant gap that we don't really know what happened in his life from early childhood through 
the start of his ministry when he showed up with uh, John the Baptist. We do know, and this is another thing that blows my mind because I know what I'm like. <laughs> we do know that from that, that time that that gap starts to when his ministry starts, he never sinned. Think about that. Like imagine your own life from, let's say, I don't know, age 8 to age 30. A lot of stuff happens in those years, you know? And Jesus spent all of those years not one time sinning. The vast majority of the picture that we get of God's manifest presence in the person of Jesus Christ in the Gospels is his ministry, though. These, these last couple years before the cross. And what do we see? We see his love. We see his care. We see his patience. We see kindness, salvation, redemption. We see a desire for him to be with his people, a desire to be with sinful people and bring redemption to them. If you want to know what God's like, look at that, okay? The, the significance of those interactions with people who were uh, touching him, and he was touching them, and they were sitting next to him while they ate, that is so massively amazing compared to the picture of the two guys who were like burned to a crisp because they did something in the presence of the Lord that God had not told them to do. So looking at Jesus is just an amazing, amazing thing. We just never get tired of doing it. That brings us back to our scripture on light, John 12, and specifically verses 35 and 36. Remember he says, what does he say there? Uh, uh, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So here's Jesus with his people, with these sinful people, and he's saying to them, take advantage of the fact that I'm with you right now. Take advantage that the light is here. This is like, this is like the passage from 2 Corinthians 6 where, um, where the, the author, Paul, says, now is the favorable time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't miss a chance. That's basically what Jesus is saying. The light is here with you. Take advantage of the fact that I'm here. All right? Because I'm going away. And, and not only was God's presence with them in this moment, he was announcing to them and to us that they could become sons of light. All right, so more about that in a bit. Let's go on to the next uh, point. God's presence is available to you right now and always. Uh, Jesus made a promise to his disciples. And honestly, right now off the top of my head, I can't remember if he said this in the days leading up to his crucifixion or if he said it after he was uh, had been crucified and resurrected. But either way, he promised it. And the promise was this, I'm going away, but it's good that I'm going away. And the reason it's, uh, it's good that I'm going away is because when I go away, I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. And so it's to your benefit that I go away because he'll come. So God kept his promise in Act 2 in the days of at the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered together praying. Remember this? The tongues of fire. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit arrived. God promised, and he delivered. 
without his death and resurrection, this could not happen. And so this is where we get to the point. Remember I said I, I was hoping I was hoping to change your perspective of Christmas. I wanted you to, as you as we approach Christmas, not just see the manger. Don't miss the manger, like Camelot. Come to Camelot next Sunday. But uh, not miss the manger, not only not miss the manger, but also connect that with the cross. The manger and the cross are so closely, so closely connected because at the manger we find out that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And because of the cross, and because this fulfilled promise, God's presence is always with us. It's always available. It's like it's like uh it's like a constant unchanging relationship status on Facebook, right? You know those? In relation or Jason Rummel, married, in relationship with Rebecca, right? This is like the relationship status with the Holy Spirit that is not going to change. If you trust in Jesus, if you are saved by his grace, that relationship status is permanent and ongoing and is true of you right now. We are never without his presence. Think that's up there? Okay. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. This body that we walk around in is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere we go, that Holy Spirit is with us. When I was looking up various places in the scriptures, I found something that I've probably read a whole bunch of times. Probably you guys have read it a bunch of times. Um, but when you look at certain things in context of a subject that you're looking at, things hit you differently. Um, and this is a beautiful picture, but it like really just was a, had a huge impact in these past weeks as I was preparing this. Here's, here's, here's a true statement. If you have been saved by God's grace, you have found favor in God's sight. How do we know that? Check this out. This is from Exodus 33, 15 through 17. And he said to him, now this is the he is Moses and the him is God. Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. This was like a huge moment. This was like a big, brilliant moment for Moses. It's got to be one of the smartest things he ever said. All right? And listen how the Lord responds. Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses basically says to the Lord, if your presence will not be with us, how are people going to know that you have favored us among all the peoples in the world? And God agrees and says, I will go with you because I ha you have found favor in my sight. Well, if you are saved by God's grace this morning and you walk around in this temple of the Holy Spirit, his presence is with you all the time. And so it is true of you all the time that you have found favor in God's sight. That's good news. That's really, really good news. 
All right, so what now? I mean, that's all really, really great information, but, but what do we do now? Because do you remember several minutes ago, I told you that God is omnipresent. He's omnipresent, and his omnipresence benefits everyone. Well, here's the thing. All of us who are saved, we walk around with God's presence all the time. But if we're not walking in the awareness of it, if we're not walking knowing that God's presence is with us, if we're not, if that knowledge of his presence with us isn't guiding what we do and what we say, then it's kind of like his omnipresence. You know, it's it's there and it's a benefit. You, it's certainly a benefit. You can't walk around with the Holy Spirit of God in your temple all the time and not have a benefit. But there is still that unique aspect of experience, experiencing the, the presence of God. There's something uniquely different about his omnipresence and the manifestation of his presence. There's something uniquely different about walking around with his presence in your temple all the time and the manifestation or the experience of his presence. So remember I told you about that one author's quote? It was this. God's presence in our experience is the heightening of his reality in our lives. If we're not living in the awareness of his presence, it's kind of like his omnipresence. So how do we live in the awareness of his presence? Um, the Lord has had his hand on a lot of things this morning, but I think part of it started last week. Do you remember that Bob taught last week about practicing praise? Remember that? Awesome message about practicing praise. That was like a total setup. He didn't know it, but it was a total setup for this because here's what you need to do. Someone helped me see in the past week that living this way, heightening uh, the the awareness of his presence in our lives is practicing his presence. You need to practice his presence. And there are ways to do that, which we'll get to in a minute. But if we are practicing his presence, that's inevitably going to lead to practicing praise, practicing humility, practicing thankfulness, obedience, practicing the things that we saw Jesus practicing when he was with his people. It will lead to practicing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All of those fruits of the Spirit that we talked about back in the summer during the equipped classes. If you are practicing the presence of God, those things are inevitably going to happen. That fruit is going to grow on your tree. James 4, 7 through 8 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That to me perfectly encapsulates this idea that we walk around with the presence of God all the time, but sometimes we can forget to practice it and experience it. Because otherwise, how could James say, draw near to God, if God is already with us all the time, right inside our temple? So there's clearly something that happens, that you take a step to draw near to God, to practice his presence, and God draws near to you, 
or heightens the reality of his, of his reality in the experience of your lives. That's what James is talking about here. Okay? So how do you do that? How do you do that? Um, as I prepared this morning, I got a lot of newfound respect for the people who come up here and preach every Sunday because I, I came in here thinking, uh, well, I didn't come in here this morning. I started the preparation for this morning thinking, what am I going to say? Am I going to have enough to say? I got to make sure that I research and come up with some things to say. And then you get a couple of days into your preparation and you think, how am I going to say all of this? Um, preparing for preaching seems to be, so far, not so much an exercise in what to say, but an exercise in what not to say, because there's so much you can say. Um, a, a discussion of God's presence could easily be something that takes us a long, long time over many, many messages, and I've passed over lots and lots of things. Um, so when you start talking about how do you practice God's presence, that's, that's something hard that, really hard to get into in depth at 1020. You know, that's, that's something that we could talk about for, for weeks, if not months, if not years. But I'll say at least this. If you're practicing God's presence, it has to at least start here. This is the perfect place to start. God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And if you want to see what God is like, and if you want his presence, the reality of his presence in your life to be heightened and to change the things that you're saying, which means that the things in your heart have to be changed also because what is in your heart will come out of your mouth. If you want, it to, if you want God's presence to be heightened in your life, and that lead to a change in your actions, the way you are around other people, and the way you are when you're all by yourself, then it starts here. You go to his word. You find out what he's like. Another, another thing that I could not possibly go this morning without saying regarding practicing his presence is prayer. Getting time to speak to the Lord in prayer and coming into his presence in prayer and worshiping him and casting your cares upon him, that will make such a massive difference in your experience of God's presence in your life. And we could go on and on and on, but, but I, I can't. It's not today. So fourth point, and then we're going to start closing up. The fourth point is this. We will be forever in his presence. And I think at the beginning when I put those five scriptures up there uh, that I had you look at Revelation 4, which was a picture of, of God in his throne room. But check this out. In Revelation 19, that font is kind of small. This is what it says. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged 
on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And I just realized I started reading in the wrong spot. So I'm going to jump down to verse 6. Sorry about that. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. They both start out with voices of great multitudes. That's what threw me off. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here's another true statement. If you are saved this morning by the grace of Jesus, you have an invitation to that marriage supper. And it's a good thing you have an invitation because it's your wedding. All right? You in this church, the church of Jesus, not just this body, but you as a saved member of the church that Jesus has called to himself, you are the bride of Christ. And this moment that is foretold in Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that is for us as the bride of Christ. That is for us. That day is coming and it will be forever. All right? So why don't we have the band come up while we, while we finish things up here? Um, think about this. What we've been talking about this morning are these pictures of God's presence in the Old Testament. In the, in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus, and then in Revelation. It's sort of like, it's kind of like a Charles Dickens moment. It's like Christmas presents past, Christmas presents present, and Christmas presents future. And, and the thing to remember about all those pictures is that God is the same God in all of those pictures. He is, in Christmas presents past, he is the God of infinite, pure holiness that is unapproachable by sinful man. You can't be in his presence and survive if you have sin. And then Christmas presence present is where we are right now. I mean, that's a beautiful good news to, to take out of here this morning. It's where we are right now that Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us, completely God, completely man. He came in that picture of the manger, and then he lived a sinless life and died on the cross. That's the whole picture that I wanted you to take with us this morning. And because of that, and only because of that death and resurrection, do we have God's presence with us completely right now. And that's true. We walk around with his presence all the time, and we can experience it in our lives. And then there's Christmas presents, future. There's that picture of the throne room of God and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that is just as true. It's true that that day is coming. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, we long for that day. So God is good, isn't he? It's, it's amazing to me. Uh, in preparing for this, that you see over and over again his faithfulness to himself, his faithfulness to what he's like. He has ways. He doesn't 
divert from those ways. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because he is faithful to the way that he is, he's faithful to us. He's promised, he saved us, and he's promised to keep us. And he will be faithful to do that. So let's pray as we go out, and then let's worship the Lord a little more. Father, Father, what a good thing it is to hear your life-giving word. How thankful I am to be able to speak it. Uh, Lord, I hope that the words that were spoken this morning were exactly what you wanted everyone to hear. And Father, I ask, because I know this is what you are famous for doing, Lord, that your words, that your reality of your presence uh, would change the lives of people in this room, that it would change the lives of anyone hearing this message at any time. Father, that if there are those here who do not know you and have not been saved by your grace, Father, that this message would draw them to salvation. Father, for those who are saved, Lord, that they would walk every day in a heightened awareness of your presence with them and that it would guide their steps, be a light to their feet, Father. Draw people to your word. Draw people, people to prayer. Draw people to honoring you, Lord. Father, we give you thanks. You are worthy of praise and honor. You are a good and mighty God, and we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen.